You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Tensions with North Korea are reaching new levels. This week, the country carried out its first successful launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile. The test means North Korea could now, theoretically at least, strike Alaska. Just this morning, President Trump said the launch could garner a, quote, very severe response from the United States. What does that mean? Will the situation continue to escalate? And what are America's options for dealing with North Korea? Also, is President Donald Trump prepared and equipped to deal with a situation that could shake up international relations in a way that we have not seen in a really long time. Joining us now to talk about the situation with North Korea is Stephen Manning. He teaches comparative and international politics and political theory at the University of Detroit Mercy. He joins us from Beijing, where he is teaching a class this summer. Stephen Manning, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. How are you doing? Uh, good. It's good to hear your voice. Uh, let, let's talk about where we are with North Korea. I, I, I often think that when we talk about North Korea in this country, we talk from a place of some ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance about uh, this country's role or place on the international stage, but ignorance about this country's internal drive, its internal imperatives. In other words, what are the things that North Korea is trying to achieve from its point of view? So I sort of want to start there. Talk about what, why, why would a country like North Korea even want to have an intercontinental uh, ballistic missile that could reach the United States? Well, North Korea, first of all, it's a very isolated country, and I think it feels the need to um, have these weapons to protect itself. Now, whether that's an accurate perception on their part or not, that's, that's questionable, but they certainly feel the need to have this kind of capability. They feel like they've been cowed by the Americans and our allies in Asia, especially, of course, South Korea. And, uh, you know, we, there are American troops in South Korea defending South Korean interests, and the North Koreans feel they have to defend themselves uh, all the way up to uh, the, the having a capability with this, uh, this, this, this latest ICBM, which is the, the longest, uh, it has the longest range of any missile they've, uh, they've fired yet. And if you paired this with a, um, uh, if they were able to miniaturize a nuclear payload on this thing, so it became a nuclear-tipped ICBM, uh, then the problem gets even worse than it already is. And I think it is worse. There was some question when this thing was launched on, uh, this is, they're referring to this as the uh, North Koreans' uh, July 4th uh, present to the United States. Uh, given the date of this thing, there was some question about whether it was actually intercontinental or not. And I think our own uh, Pentagon Defense Department has determined that it uh, that it was. So it could actually reach uh, parts of Alaska, western Alaska, and almost reach the west coast of the United States, uh, major cities like Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and, and Los Angeles. So I think they feel very isolated, and uh, they don't feel any particular need, as most countries do, at some point, to be uh, some sort of a viable member of an international community. They just don't feel that. And and a lot of times when people talk about uh, North Korea and its its leader, Kim, Kim Jong-un, yeah. uh, the word crazy comes up, right? <laughs> that this is a crazy person who uh, just is, is sort of flailing about and trying to make himself and his country into a bigger 
deal on the interna- international straight stage. Is that a is that a fair assessment of what's going on, or is it too simplistic? Well, you know, I think it's too simplistic. Crazy is a. I'll leave that to the psychologist, you know. But uh, <laughs> you know, I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, even leaders that we tend to think are a little bit uh, a little bit wacko. Um, they probably, at the end of the day, they act. I think. I think. I think our, our assumption ought to be they're acting in what they think are the best interests of their country. And and here, the best interests of that country, as he would define them, are to to be more taken more seriously by countries like the United States. Isn't that one of the the, the goals here? Absolutely, yes, yes. I mean, the great fear of being overrun by a great and hostile power like the United States, that's one of the things that fuels. And, you know, keep in mind, many of these regimes are, uh, I mean, what really fuels them, this is, this is just a brutal, brutal dictatorship. People starve to death. This country cannot feed its own people. Um, they don't care about feeding their own people. It's a brutal, ruthless dictatorship. Let, let's let's be clear about that. First of all, on all measures of uh, freedom, you know, we have we have a, political science has a variety of scales measuring the freedom of countries, and and North Korea has since its inception after the the Korean War has always been at the very very bottom of the list. And uh, so it's a it's a it's a nasty, horrible country. One of the few remaining true communist uh, totalitarian dictatorships. Yeah. Even countries like China, um, although it is still a one-party regime, it is. I mean, the, the I, I've, I've spent enough time here to know that you would not know you're in a communist country when you're in China. Uh, when you're in North Korea, you would know that. It's just a brutal, brutal dictatorship. Right. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Stephen Manning. He teaches comparative and international politics and political theory at the University of Detroit Mercy. He's joining us from Beijing, where he's teaching a class this summer. We're talking about North Korea, uh, the nuclear test that was uh, conducted uh, by North Korea, actually the missile test that was conducted by North Korea earlier this week. What does that mean for U.S.-North Korean uh, relations? Does that move us closer to the idea of a conflict with a country like North Korea? If North Korea can reach Alaska or perhaps the west coast of the continental United States with a missile, does that change the way we ought to be dealing with them uh, and their aspirations. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones uh, if you want to join the conversation. What do you think we ought to do to respond to what North Korea did this week? Should there be a more than diplomatic response? Should we uh, do something that says this is unacceptable and shows North Korea that it's unacceptable? Or do you think that diplomacy is still the way to deal with threats like this around the globe, uh, what would you like to see President Trump say or do in response to this? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, uh, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Stephen, I want I want to ask you about the, the sort of issue that's lurking in the background here, which is North Korea's relationship with China and the United States' relationship with China, these things are all tied up together in this, sure. uh, in this issue. Yeah. Well, the, um, the Trump administration, as I understand, is trying to put pressure on China. China is uh, a chief ally of North Korea. Uh, 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 Trump is uh, 
Trump announced today that the uh, sort of blaming China in that he said that the uh, trade between the two countries had increased 40 percent or something in the first quarter. Now, I, I don't know if that's true. I suspect it's a, a typical uh, Trumpian exaggeration. But even if it's true to some extent, um, that's one thing we can do. We can go to China. I mean, I think we ought to start with, with asking, how, how did North Korea get this capability? Where did they get the technology from? Right. And I think part of the answer uh, points to China. The, uh, the report here, I don't know if you're getting the same thing here, and, you know, we're uh, 12 hours off, so the news cycle is, is, is completely uh, upside down and backwards. But the, um, the, 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 the platform, uh, the delivery platform that this missile uh, on, on July 4th took off from was of Chinese manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we could, we, we could and I, I think we should, uh, this is still in the area of diplomacy, go to China and say, look, I mean, we have evidence that this was a, a platform of yours, and in our, in, in our interpretation of this, this is a problem because you're supporting North Korea being able now to pretty much reach the west coast of the United States with an ICBM. And um, we have a problem with that. So we would ask you to stop supplying these kinds of things. Uh, to the North Koreans that enable them to develop this technology. Uh, the other thing is they, they, the, the, I think the, uh, our intelligence community believes that they're getting, the North Koreans are getting this arms technology, the missile technology, the fueling and all of this stuff, and perhaps ultimately, um, uh, worst case scenario, uh, 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 being able to put a nuclear thing on the tip of this, uh, from countries like Iran and uh, Pakistan and maybe even China. So we can use our relationships with them diplomatically to say, you know, we, you have to stop doing this. Look, sanctions have been in place against North Korea since 1953, right. soon after the end of the Korean War. And, um, you know, here we are, 2017, and it's obvious now that none of this has worked. If it worked, they would not have this, this capability. Uh, and one analysis is these things, these sanctions have not worked because they haven't been enforced. The sanctions are good, but they need to be enforced. So one thing we could do, and one of the, good, one, one of the pieces of good news in all this mess, I think, is that the, uh, the G20 uh, uh, meetings are just about starting. I just watched, watched before I left the room the uh, uh, Trump speech in uh, – uh, well, both of his speeches, the press conference and the speech to the Polish people mm-hmm. in Warsaw on his way to Hamburg for the G20. Um, the good news is we can get all these people in the same room sitting down and trying to hash this thing out and trying to convince people what they need to do uh, by way of enforcing these sanctions. Now, um, some countries, they're not the economic sanctions and the sale of, uh, the sale of, uh, of arms technology to North Korea. Those things are being violated. And the United States, it seems to me, ought to make it clear to any country in violation that uh, we have a real big problem with this and we, we want you to stop doing this. Yes. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Clarence in Detroit. Clarence, welcome to Detroit today. Yes, good morning. Hi. Good morning. I was giving you a call in reference to the discussion. It seems to me that the Korean conflict, I heard your guest said that it was the end of the war. The Korean conflict uh, ended in a, I guess, a treaty. Mm-hmm. Uh, to where as the two sides ceased hostilities. And uh, through all of this conversation and nuclear arms and missiles, I haven't heard the current administration uh, talk about 
that particular part that talked about the troops there. But it seems to me that that would be a very important point because North Korea is, is, is how can I say, I was looking at this from a, well, at least from my perspective, looking at this standpoint is that we are at war. Right. And uh, I'm attempting to bolster my hand as far as to keep aggression from happening. So why isn't that being part of the political discussion, uh, at least maybe in, in the back rooms with the military, but yeah. at least on the public uh, on the public uh, right. arena? Clarence, that's a, that's a great question. Thank you uh, for the call. I'll get call. off the phone and i yeah. Stephen Manning, uh, go ahead and, and address what Clarence is talking about. Yeah, that is a, that is a, that's an excellent question, Clarence. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, if I understand your, your, your concern, it's the, the existence of American troops in South Korea to defend South Korea. That's right. And how that could be viewed by the North Koreans as a provocation. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right, and this is one of the. They say, look, they have the, the South Korea is, and you know, their goal is ultimately to reu- reunite the country. They view. They, they view they view the war as never having ended. They're still at war with South Korea, and that war will uh, not necessarily a hot war, but certainly a, 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 the conflict has continued to exist after the the, the the technically the war ended in '53. But they think the war is ongoing and will continue to be ongoing until the country the two countries are united. So they view United States presence. I mean, they, and it's a legitimate question, right? I mean, why are uh, United, why are all these United States troops troops in South Korea, uh-huh. not too far from us? So our response to that is, well, as long as they stay there, we're going to, and we're basically surrounded by allies of the United States, Japan, South Korea, etc. Um, why can't we have our allies like China, perhaps Russia, and why can't we develop, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 an arms system that defends our interests just like the South Koreans are? Yes. It's a very legitimate question. Yeah. Now, uh, hopefully, that would. I mean, if they. If it's possible for to open up dialogue, and you know the Chinese here, I'm reading the Chinese press here. The Chinese are saying, "Let's tone down the rhetoric." They're referring to Trump, of course. Let's tone down the rhetoric, and let's not have a military response. Let's go the diplomatic route. And um, if China could get North Koreans to the table, that's an issue that the North Koreans could bring up at the table. You remove some of your troops, we would feel less threatened, and that may be a way out of here. Yeah. Okay, Stephen Manning uh, teaching comparative and international politics and political theory at the University of Detroit Mercy he joined us from Beijing where he's teaching a class this summer. Stephen, always great to talk to you. Uh, thanks for being with us on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Nice to hear from you. Absolutely. All right, up next, we're going to talk with a senior national security correspondent for BuzzFeed about what the mood in Washington is in the wake of North Korea's missile test. Uh, Stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019, and stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about North Korea and the missile test that took place earlier this week. What 
does the United States have to do in response to this? What should the United States do in response to this? Is the diplomatic uh, arena the place where we ought to negotiate this? Or are there other things that ought to be on the table? If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Joining me now to talk more about how this looks from Washington is Nancy Youssef. She is senior national security correspondent for BuzzFeed, also a former reporter with the Detroit Free Press. Nancy, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be with you. Yes. Uh, let's talk about what the what the appetite is, I guess, in, in Washington right now for more than a diplomatic response to this. Uh, my previous guest, Stephen Manning, talked about how we've had sanctions in place against North Korea for, for since 1953. Uh, the, that has not in any way, it seems like, deterred their nuclear aspirations or these sort of aggressive gestures. Are people really talking, though, about uh, doing something about what North Korea is doing instead of just talking with them about it? Well, it's interesting. We're kind of <clears throat> getting mixed messages because in Warsaw today, the president said that he has some, quote, pretty severe things we're thinking about. Yes. Um, and yet there is a reticence within the Pentagon to discuss that. We've heard from Secretary of Defense Mattis about how any sort of um, major military escalation would lead to a war that we cannot imagine in terms of its consequences. And so... Um, there has been discussion of looking at potential military options, but one of the things we keep hearing is that any military option has such a great risk of, of really large consequences. And so um, how, do you, how do you sort of do a, a military action that's small, if that's even possible? Do you do something like um, strike a site where it's the, in Pyong, near Pyongyang, where they're doing some of these tests, do you um, um, call for more sanctions, even though those sanctions haven't worked? Do you move an air force, excuse me, an aircraft carrier into the region as a show of force? So those are sort of the um, kinds of things that might be on the table right now. And yet, there's a real anxiety about that because of the potential of this kind of conflict escalating so quickly yeah. um, into something beyond what what anybody would want. So, so one of the one of the questions then, I guess, is what that what what they imagine those consequences to be. Is it that they believe uh, North Korea, in response, would use nuclear weapons, if not against the United States, maybe against uh, its neighbors, South Korea or, or, or Japan? Or is it a question of uh, the involvement of the Chinese, who, of course, are, are you know, backing North Korea in, in, in many ways? I actually think it's a third option, which is the use of conventional weapons against South Korea, because they've got all those missiles sort of pointed towards Seoul. Mm -hmm. And and that we could have something where, let's say, the United States does something relatively small, and, and North Korea responds by launching a bunch of rockets at Seoul and, and, and putting literally thousands of people at risk. Um, and so, And then, of course, then you have... A region that responds, and all of a sudden we're just ratcheting it up. You know, this is the problem with arguably the sort of tit-for-tat response to North Korea that has been happening thus far. The North Koreans do a test. There's there's some sort of military show of force, and then they do another test that's more sophisticated. I mean, this has been the pattern, and it hasn't worked. To then not have it work and put so many people at risk, 
um, I think is the, is the concern. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Nancy Youssef. She is the senior national security correspondent for BuzzFeed, a former reporter with our own Detroit Free Press. Uh, we're talking about uh, North Korea and the missile test earlier this week. Uh, does that move us to a space where diplomacy is no longer going to work? Are we in a in a condition now where we ought to be thinking about how to respond to North Korea when it does things like this? Uh, if it's not missile tests, uh, often it's underground nuclear tests that they're conducting. At what point do those two things converge uh, in the ability, the capability of North Korea to launch a nuclear nuclear weapon uh, either against South Korea, uh, its its closest enemy, or against a U.S. ally, or to strike the United States, either Alaska or the west coast of the intercon of the continental U.S. Um, what what should the response look like? Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Uh, also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will put your comments uh, into the conversation here. Uh, we had a caller on the line, John from Waterford, uh, who couldn't stay on the line, uh, but he says. Make them a hole in the water. Uh, I guess he's saying them would be North Korea in that in that context, and he, I think he's talking about perhaps using nuclear weapons uh, against North Korea. Nancy, obviously, that's not uh, that's not a diplomatic solution. I wouldn't imagine it's it's something that's being talked about too seriously in Washington. But talk about the fact that we have a president now whose own rhetoric, not just in this context, but in every context, is about a stronger, more forceful America, uh, has talked about the, the need to meet force with force. Uh, is that putting pressure on uh, on the national security uh, institutions to, to think about this differently? I, I think the challenge is that the president uses such blunt language on problems that are so nuanced and the word of an American president can really affect outcomes. For example, when he went to Saudi Arabia, he made comments that some would argue led to the split between the Gulf nations and Egypt and Qatar. Mm -hmm. That these can sort of trigger responses, words that um, are so blunt and then designed to sort of message one thing but can unintentionally have different consequences. Um, now, arguably in Syria, the fact that the, the president um, struck with those 59 Tomahawk missiles after the chemical weapons attack has deterred um, Syria from using such weapons and, and um, since then. Now, we haven't seen it now. It could, it could change tomorrow, but up until now, that has worked. So I think the challenge for the national security community is um, these are such nuanced problems, and and it's 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 a challenge to um, have to deal with sort of blunt words and the consequences of them on national security matters because you know it's um it's that it's 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 such a contradiction because whatever solution can't be met with. Um, so bluntly, and yet they're addressed publicly so bluntly. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ite in Detroit. Ite, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah. Good morning, Anderson, and your to your guest. Uh -huh. This is what I want to to, put to to point to people. Why did the United States take was 
military relation with North Korea. North Korea, in my opinion, is very close to China. Mm-hmm. Every time I listen to the news and I see the military parade, all those military hardware, where do you think it's coming from? Right. It's either from China or from Russia. Will the United States allow a war to be fought on their borders like Mexico or Canada? So yeah. let's be real. Leave them alone. North Korea is not going to attack United States because they know what will happen. Yeah, Ite, uh, that's, that's a that, that's a great uh, observation, uh, Nancy Yusuf. Are we making too much of uh, North Korea's aspirations here? I mean, after all, they would have to understand the same thing we would, which is that uh, if you attack South Korea, if you attack Japan, if you were able to attack the United States and did that, that the response would be just overwhelming and nowhere near worth uh, the gain of, of having attacked in the first place. Well, E.T. makes a really great point, and one that actually we're hearing in, in Washington, which is that the North Koreans would never attack the United States because they understand the consequences of it. Right. Um, now, the other argument that he makes that is also been repeated is from the Chinese and, and to some extent the Russians that they – believe that they can come up with a solution. President Moon of South Korea has called for more dialogue. The Chinese have felt um, that they could offer solutions to the problem. I think the challenge is, historically, we have seen that while these countries are stepping up, they haven't wanted to be sort of the responsibility, if you will, of being the full-time world leader as the United States has been. And so can they come up with solutions or enduring um, to to somebody like a Kim Jong Un, I think is is unclear. But um, you know, I think he takes right. If it if it's not an imminent threat to the United States, or we don't believe that they would strike, there's an argument to be made. Now, the other side of it is that having someone as um, unpredictable as Kim Jong Un armed with nuclear weapons potentially opens the sort of Pandora's box of other unstable leaders, um, including foes to the United States, then um, arming themselves with nuclear weapons. Because once you become a nuclear-armed state, the world treats you differently. Treats you take you differently, on, some yeah. would argue, more importance than, than your, your standing in the world. And so I think that's one of the concerns um, in, in Washington. Yeah. Okay. Nancy Youssef, Senior National Security Correspondent for BuzzFeed. Thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. See you tomorrow.